Welcome back to Trial Trends, a monthly podcast brought to you by 4G Clinical, where we tackle big ideas, challenge the status quo, and bring new perspectives to the rapidly changing world of clinical trials. Get ready to disrupt the old ways of thinking and discover the newest trial trends. Welcome back to another episode of Trial Trends. I'm your host, Kathleen Greeno, Senior Director of Client Solutions at 4G Clinical. According to a study from the European Journal of Human Genetics in September of 2019, there may be as many as 300 million people that are living with one or more of over 6,000 identified rare diseases around the world. Many of these rare diseases do not have any tangible solution. So what is it like to face a diagnosis with no treatment? Today, we are going to delve into this important topic with a special guest. She is a colleague, a friend, and a lover of horses, Alana Rose. Lana, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks, Kathleen. Looking forward to speaking on this topic. So as a starting point, Lana, can you give our listeners a brief background on your relationship with rare diseases? I'm certainly not new to rare disease. 20 years ago, I was diagnosed with CIDP, which is chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. It's a rare neurological disorder. It's believed to be an autoimmune disease because it normally occurs when your immune system actually attacks your nervous system. And it basically creates an inflammation of the nerves and it destroys myelin sheaf that sort of protective fatty layer around the nerve fibers and what that has meant for me over the last 20 years is a lot of weakness not being able to have full sensation particularly in my legs and hands at the very worst I you know have been let's call it disabled and I've been in a wheelchair where I've basically had paralysis that was me at my worst most of the time I'm in a pretty good state and I'm able to function albeit with just a level of weakness and then earlier this year I was diagnosed with another rare disease this time a brain tumor I'm very grateful that it's a benign brain tumor because statistically, if it turns malignant, it's not a great outcome. And so in some respects, you feel very grateful that it's benign. But on the other hand, it adds to the list of symptoms and problems that I get from having two of the fun of the rare diseases. (laughs) What is your reaction when you discover that you're living with a brain tumor? It's always kind of scary to get a diagnosis, but what goes through your mind when you know there's no direct remedy for your condition? Yeah, I think the first bit is shock. I mean, the way that diagnosis is carried out, it can take several months. So initially, it was actually an incidental finding. I had a routine scan for my previous condition of CIDP, and during that routine scan, it came up with an incidental finding of just tumor. And that's all it says. It just says you have a brain tumor. And then you have about six months of waiting, having more scans and tests for somebody to actually give you a diagnosis. And I've spoken to quite a few consultants and having second opinions because the trouble is rare diseases is you can actually get misdiagnosis. Certainly even with my CIDP, that was misdiagnosed 20 years ago. And although technology has come along, the first step is always just knowing what it is that you have is sometimes the hardest stage. And then once you do know what you have, what do you do about it? And then when you're told, well, nothing really, you just, there isn't anything that you can do about it. There are alternative 
medicines that you can take, there is some level of treatment, but otherwise it's just removal of the tumor. So obviously the diagnosis is pretty fresh for you. What would you say to someone else who's in your shoes getting this diagnosis? Do you have any advice for someone else in the same position? It's a tough one. I suppose, I think whether there's a diagnosis or not, if you know that there is something wrong, then stick with it. Get an actual diagnosis. Because, you know, unfortunately I had CIDP previously, which is a rare disease. When I had new symptoms, which were in some respects actually very similar because my brain tumor starts with the nervous system. And so because the IDP is also a central nervous system problem, I had very similar symptoms. For myself, it's a lot of muscle weakness. And I think once you do get a diagnosis for whatever it is, if it's a rare disease of any sort, it's finding that support group. Find somebody else that has the same rare disease as you so that you're not alone. One of the first things that struck me when I joined this charity and reached out to other people in a similar situation is that they all said the same thing, that they feel very, very lonely because nobody understands what it is that you're going through. You know, there was one woman in particular that she is affected because her tumor is in a certain place in her brain that actually gives her facial paralysis. And for her on a day-to-day living, there's nothing that can be done about it. And it's a very lonely place to be that nobody else can understand how much it can actually impact on your life. And for her, it's something very simple like smiling. For me, it's the simple activities like going out for a walk. Quite often I'll think, can I actually go out for a walk for hours on end without feeling you know, extreme fatigue or having these sort of muscle spasms or, or loss of sensation, which can come on at any point. So even if there isn't any kind of therapy out there for you, You're active in the organizations and having those support groups, those form a type of therapy, would you say? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the most beneficials I've found is just speaking to other patients and having these charitable support groups to be able to put you into contact with them so that you can share your stories. But also everybody does a lot of their own research or they're reaching out to companies because they've seen some trial going on. And so it's really having that support network so that you're not alone facing this. I can imagine that that would be an incredibly lonely thing to feel at first. And it's a wonderful thing to know that there are support groups out there who can work with you and be there for you as you process the whole diagnosis and what happens next. I think the charitable organizations that provide support are just as valuable as those organizations that are raising funding for research. So Brains Trust was the first charity that I came across And the person that I spoke to on the phone, she was so supportive that, you know, it didn't matter what time of the day it was that you rang them, they were there for you. And she sent me this little box and it's called the brain box. And in it, it had all the information that you could possibly need to be able to take you through this process of understanding what it is that you have, how you're supposed to deal with it and be able to have this network of support around you to know that there are other people facing the same thing as you. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much those support charities actually mean to somebody when they're going through this and they've got no one else to turn to. So working with you, Lana, I would have never known that you had a brain tumor. I can't see that you have a diagnosis like this. You talked about that people can feel lonely having this diagnosis. Are those two things connected? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think they call it sort of invisible disabilities that just because you don't look like you're sick doesn't mean you're not suffering. You see a lot of people with a variety of different illnesses that it really affects their day-to-day living. And there is a real lack of sympathy just because you can't see it. You don't really want like a, a neon sign over your head, like, you know, please don't be cruel. I kind of, I kind of need this support, but it's very true. I think we very much live in a world where if you don't have a physical disability, you certainly don't get the sympathy or maybe sympathy is not the right word, but you get judged a lot. I certainly, I'm a very physical active person. I ride horses, I walk dogs. From the outset, I look normal and fine and there's nothing wrong with me, but you know, inside maybe it's my character. I'm always pushing myself of, I don't want the disease to take over my life. And if I kind of give in, it feels like it's winning and it's failure, but a lot of people won't see the internal suffering. So thinking about the patient experience, that's something that's at the center of everything we try to do at 4G Clinical. How has this affected your work life? Has it changed your perspective on work you do, or does it make the connection a little bit more intimate? with the patient experience now? Yeah, definitely. I think we're all patients in our own right, whether it's a mild illness or a full-on life-changing disease. And I think certainly when you work in this industry, it makes it more pronounced that you're not just having these studies that you're working on, that there's a person at the end of the day. And so I think especially working in a company like ours, you really feel that emphasis that it's so important that you don't misrandomize, that the system is ready to go live before a first patient in, that there is so much more to it than just winning a study and doing well for the company that actually it can change somebody's life. In every single study that you work on, when you see that protocol, it's actually exciting to think, wow, this is new. Some of the studies that we've seen coming through, you think you're actually at the forefront or involved in something that can change the lives of potentially hundreds of thousands of people. I found over the last year working with you that you're a person who fights things. You don't take no for an answer. You really go after the things you want. So finding out that there's no treatment for your condition must have been really difficult for you. I'm curious, as an active participant within the same industry responsible for finding these solutions and treatments, does that give you a different perspective on your diagnosis? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things is it's first of all acceptance that you have this and then understanding that Not only is there no treatment today, but actually for my particular brain tumor, there hasn't been any research or any current research on a global scale for more than 30 years. And quite often rare diseases, they're not at the forefront of the pharmaceuticals package of what they want to go into, but it certainly makes you want to do something, even if it's where can I go for information? Where can I go for support? Can I find other patients in this same situation? What's been their experience? And that knowledge sharing has actually been the most beneficial thing for me. And just actually raising awareness. I think having awareness will actually make companies sit up and think, actually, we should be doing something about this. And if you can't find trials, if you don't see the research being done, our industry's goal is to find solutions for diseases. But in the case of rare diseases, as you said, we don't often, sometimes there just isn't any research being done. Is that frustrating for you? How do you react to that? 
it's deeply frustrating having, I suppose, any rare disease, knowing that there's not a huge amount of research being done. I think especially the fact that I've got two, I'm sort of deeply involved in where the research has been and where it is now. DIDP, for instance, 20 years ago, I had IVIG as a treatment. At the time, it was very novel. And it's still the most common form of treatment that is being used for CIDP. But then when you look at brain tumours, it's just such an under-researched area. Whether they are benign or cancerous brain tumours, the statistics is pretty shocking. There hasn't been any spending into that area. And yet, if we look at the outcome of, let's use cancerous brain tumours because the statistics there are the worst, cancerous brain tumours kill more men under 45 than prostate cancer. They kill more women under 35 than breast cancer. They kill more children than leukemia. And there is a less than 20% chance of surviving beyond five years on first diagnosis of having a cancerous brain tumour. And yet the number of people having brain tumours, you know, if we look at brain disease, whether it's cancerous or benign, is actually increasing. So I would argue that it's not that rare anymore. It used to be rare to have certain types of brain tumours 20, 30 years ago, but actually collectively, regardless of which type of tumour you have, the research is minimal in all of the areas. So there's no research going on on either side, whether it's benign or cancerous. And I think that really has to change. What would you say for the manufacturers and the pharmaceutical companies? Do you have any advice for them on addressing rare diseases? I guess we need more investment into research. There are over 120 different types of brain tumour and they're divided up into classifications, grades one and two being on the non-aggressive benign side, you know, and then you've got grades three and four, which are classified as the higher grade and cancerous brain tumours. But nobody actually knows what the cause is of any brain tumour, regardless of what grade it is at. Nobody knows how they've started, what they've caused, or even what the symptoms are, because the symptoms really change depending on the location of your brain tumour, what kind it is. When you've got over 120 different types, they all behave and characterise completely differently. And then the impact that it has on your life, it really varies again. And so it's been able to have much more research to better understand what it actually is, getting better diagnosis and then getting better treatment because it's, you know, as we've seen in other areas with other diseases, it's quite often not a one size fits all. And yet at the moment, the medication or the prognosis, the treatment that you're offered is very minimal in comparison to how many varieties they are and what they're actually causing. Many of our listeners might not be active participants within the pharmaceutical industry. So what would you want our listeners to take away from the conversation regarding rare diseases? I think the key message that I'd like to get across is just raising awareness. Next time that you want to do a event or a coffee morning or a run for charity, 
do it for brainstrust.org.uk or braintumorresearch.org. No matter where you are in the world, you don't have to pick one charity from one country. You'll be able to find a lot more niche charities wherever you're from and being able to support those smaller charities that are directly making a difference onto the individual patient's life, whether it's a support charity or it's a small charity doing funding in one particular type of brain tumour, it makes a big difference. They are using that funding to go directly into either the patient or into research specifically into brain tumours. And I think the more awareness that we have, then the better it will be. Alana, I appreciate your time today to shed light on your relationship with rare diseases. And I'm so glad we could use this platform to help spread awareness on the importance of rare disease research within our industry. For those of you who are interested in learning more about brain tumor research, feel free to visit the Brain Trust at braintrust.org.uk and brain tumor research at braintumorresearch.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Kathleen Greeno, and thank you for joining this episode of Trial Trends. Thank you for joining this episode of Trial Trends. If you enjoyed this discussion, then make sure to subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast platform or on 4gclinical.com. Until next time, we're your hosts, Kathleen Greeno and Libby Rickenbacker.